This is the last episode in the first run of A Pod Too Far, and Duncan and I are off to enjoy some well-earned shore leave. We're hoping to be recording more episodes very soon, but first we need to sort out a funding model, so if you or anyone you know would like to partner with the show and help to bring it to our battalion of loyal listeners, do drop an email to podtoofar at gmail.com. And the same goes if you have suggestions, recommendations, or you just want to say something nice. Now, on with the show. Podo. Welcome to A Pod Too Far, where we watch films from the golden age of war movies. I'm Rob Hutton, and today, Duncan Weldon somehow got hold of a corpse, and I've got a cunning idea about how we might put it to use. Yes, it's the man who never was. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I, I put a lot of work into these. Yeah, yeah, I, I, very good, very good. <laughs> For people who, um, like our producer, have never heard of this film, this is the 1956 movie starring Clifton Webb, the true story-ish of intelligence officer Ewan Montague, who arranges to dump a corpse off the coast of Spain, carrying letters that suggest that the Allies are going to attack Sardinia and Greece rather than their real target, Sicily. And I think that if a listeners who have not seen the film some of this may start to sound rather familiar yes because this, this is operation mincemeat isn't it this I mean, is this, operation yeah. mincemeat the most famous secret intelligence operation of world war Two. yeah so the film comes out in 56 it's yeah. based on a 53 book which is written by ewan montague how much do you know about the story about, about not the story of operation mincemeat but as it were the story of how this came out so i don't know the story of how it came out so Operation Mincemeat is a true story. Yeah, this much written about several films. Much written a, a about musical. it. There are we will we will, we will get yeah. to all. And there is indeed a, a, a West End musical. Yeah, the uh, which only I, World War Two operation to have a West End musical. It is. I try the aware. only West End. And, and I have to say, I was having dinner with someone last night, and he said my wife and daughters have seen the musical four times. <laughs> so this is not. I, I, I yeah. at which point I might. I'm going to see if I can persuade my goddaughter to go with me. Yeah. I'm quite looking forward. Every yeah. everyone I know who's seen it says it is absolutely terrific. But Operation Mincemeat during World War II to float this body, and it happens, and almost immediately, Ewan Montague, who is in the naval intelligence officer who comes up with it, starts telling people about it. <laughs> He's very, and, very proud of himself. But by the end of the war, I yeah. think he has already sold the rights to the story. Tremendous. Which is not what you're supposed to do with top secret <laughs> things. Let's let's be clear. I mean, I don't. I, it's, I think the fact that he sold the rights is. Has, has is he already a sold the musical rights? <laughs> I don't think he got the musical rights. <laughs> <laughs> and he is determined to get this story out there. Yeah thing about it is it is an absolutely terrific story so it starts leaking it the first reported version of this is during the war and it's that it was a d-day operation yeah so somebody had sort of got some of the facts yeah so it's obviously sort of floating around duff cooper cabinet minister yeah. writes a novel called operation heartbreak which is a fictionalization of this a journalist called ian colvin gets hold of the story and actually basically figures it all out, and in, yeah. including Finding the Grave, and is about to publish a book called The Unknown Courier. When good title. It's a good, it's a great title, isn't yeah. it? And But you haven't heard of it, no. because Ewan Montague gets wind of the fact that Colvin is writing this book, and goes to the war office and says, we need to get our version out first. And as it happens... I've written one. <laughs> he, very, he very much claims to and write and it I've got some weekend, ideas for numbers in a later yeah. musical version. <laughs> And and so he brings out the man who never was, yeah. 
which completely swamps Colvin's, but I have no idea. If you if someone came to me tomorrow and said that, that you and Montague had tipped Colvin off in order yeah. to get this out, I would not even blink. I mean, did, did the man have any history of being involved in deception, yes. Rob? <laughs> <laughs> you, it, it, Montague is absolutely determined to, to get... And, and the Montague version of this is yeah. what we get in this, which is why you and Montague is the hero of it. So that, that takes us to the... So what year is that? The, the so that comes out in 1956. This is the year after okay. the Dam Busters. Yeah. Yeah. So thematically, when we did the Dam Busters, yeah. we talked about this is Britain winning the war. And this is Britain winning the war by being clever. And then and then the film is very soon after that then. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Book's 53, film's 56. Yeah. We're, we're absolutely in, hey, lads, we won the war by being clever. And this is the ultimate 50s schoolboy tale. I mean, I, yeah. I don't... I, 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 some stage in my childhood, I had some kind of big Osborne book of war and spies yeah. and things, you know, and the man who never was got a page. It has sort of been revived because over the course of time, various files came out, including the Ewan Montague file. I have to say, actually, having read the Ewan Montague report that he wrote at the time, thematically, it is the Ewan Montague version of events, e- even during the war. Yeah. He was very carefully constructing this. So we we now know the identity of the corpse yeah. and uh, Ben McIntyre's excellent book, Operation Mincemeat, is a, a much more authoritative and reliable yes. account of um, of what happened and an absolutely terrific read. And I, so having read it about four times in the last yeah. year for various re- reasons, and it, it's very, very well done. This is, but this is a, this is the sort of the sanitized version of it. So... For instance, there is a massive effort to make all of this look tremendously honourable, isn't there? Clifton Webb, who plays Montague, is yeah. you know is sort of let's talk about let's talk about the scenes. Yeah, uh, let's do the after action report. So just sort of stepping yeah, back right, right, to, to the film, I suppose to Operation Mincemeat. That you know the, the difference in the film is the interesting thing from a sort of staging it point of view. That clearly when the script writers and the directors sit down, and they say, okay, we, we've got this really clever British operation, we can make it into a film. But they clearly are aware it's not necessarily great cinema by itself. So they have to invent this sort of secondary plot about the Germans sending an yes, agent. Yes, so it's a completely, it's a film of two halves. Yes. And, and first... I think the second half is a better film, but it's completely fictitious. Whereas the first half is sort of a fairly accurate portrayal of the operation, but isn't necessarily great cinema. Have you seen Operation Mincemeat, the film? I haven't. I haven't. I have to say that it suffers from this problem. <laughs> yes. Great book. I mean, you can't really make dumping a body. Yeah, the the problem... So the book is really exciting. Yeah. Because actually, one of the things it handles very well... The the problem is, in a sense, from a dramatic point of view, that the action shifts halfway through. And and the book is really exciting at the point at which the corpse is brought ashore in Spain and they're trying to... There's all of this sort of proper slightly comedy spy palaver where they're trying to get the the material into German hands. And there is a fantastic moment, true story, fantastic moment, where one of the Spanish officials sort of unclips the briefcase containing all of these these spies that they want to give the Germans and tries to hand it to the British official who is standing with the body. He yeah. says, I, I think you probably ought to have this. <laughs> and the chap has to say, no, 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 no. I, I think you should follow procedure. <laughs> and all of that is very well done. But the problem with that, dramatically, is that that involves a whole different bunch of people from the people yeah, who have been was, plotting yeah, about it. You, you, yeah. You've essentially got a completely different cast. Yeah. And the other problem is that a lot of this intelligence work is sort of, it's, it is interesting to read about it and think about yeah. it, but it's quite hard 
to do it dramatically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are some funny. There's some funny. There are there are good moments in the film. There's a good moment yeah. where they're trying to find someone who they can't photograph the corpse. They realize yeah. so they need an ID photo, and the corpse corpse looks dead in them. Yeah. So they they're trying to trying to find an officer who yeah. looks like the, their corpse, and you yeah. can see them all sort of sitting in a nightclub, kind of staring at people, mm. and that that's all very jolly, but. Actually, the, the interesting thing about this film is it cuts. Although there is an exposition in in the man who never was, there's a sort of there's five minutes of exposition at the front. But actually, they sort of they cut a lot of the the body stuff because ultimately, yeah. although it was really interesting, it, it's not great cinema. Exactly. And the great cinema exactly. stuff is despite, and I, I think the Operation Mincemeat, the film, sort of they never quite work out how to bridge that gap. Sadly. So yeah, yes. so, so going back to your question, though, yeah, so, I think you call people in for the second half of the film. Yeah. The, so the scene yeah. with the father is the only other yeah. thing. So the scene, so the scene with the father, where they they've got the corpse. I mean, this is all made up. If you see what I mean, literally, the, the, the corpse does in fact belong to a tramp. But Montague has his much better thing, you know, where a chap agrees, you know, to hand his son over you know, <laughs> for the greater war good and. That's quite moving. Yeah, I yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. and the letter writing scene. The interesting thing about the film is that the emotional heart and the emotional heart of this film and of Operation Mincemeat, the book, and Operation Mincemeat, the film is is this entirely fic- fictional love story. Yeah, you know, and there's this sort of this this in reality, I think it was a spinster in in naval intelligence who who yeah. writes this letter, this letter to this doomed officer. You know how we found each other and. Yeah. This one in a million chance in war that we have a moment of happiness, you know, there's just the right level of enormous off, off, off you go to get shot down pathos. <laughs> That's really affecting, and that that is completely made up. But yeah, no. But then then the spy film, the, the spy film, and the second half is terrific. It's very good. It's a very good little spy film. It's sort of hard watching that sort of espionage thriller when you know the ending. <laughs> Because we yes. know the ending, yeah. But it's still, it's very well done. So. Yeah, you know, how is he going to do it? Is he going? How is he going yeah. to? It's almost. It is a version of how. How is this? It's a sort of how done it. You know. Yeah. How is he going to fail to kill Hitler? Kill. Yeah. Kill De Gaulle. Kill Churchill. Kidnap yeah. Churchill. Whatever it is, you know. Yeah. It's sort of interesting that they had an. It's another Irish spy, Irish terrorist spy. After yeah, um, the eagle has landed. Yeah, it's, it's just a little trope I wasn't aware of. In huh? yeah, no, uh, <laughs> sort of women in the film. There are yeah, in the film. There are in the film. There is Pam, which is an in joke because Pam, in, in real life, Pam was the name of of the made up major's made up girlfriend, oh. and so Pam as a character here is. I, I actually have not read the Ewan Montague Man Who Never Was book, or I, I yeah. dipped into it, but I, so I don't know whether he called her Pam. But yeah. and overlapping with the Cooler King Award for the most gratuitous American character, Gloria Graham, yes, uh, who's a big star of the fifties. Rather like Clifton Webb, in fact, both big stars, both. I, I'm going to be honest. I I'd never heard of any of them until neither no. of them until um now, now. But yes, but I will take your word for it. They're both big fifty stars. Both fifty stars. A terrific Clifton Webb story. Clifton Webb never married. Lived with his mother. Lived with his mother all 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 his life. Uh, she died in her nineties, and uh, the fantastic prompting a fantastic line from Noel Coward that it's a great tragedy to be orphaned at seventy one. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we, do, we do need more Noel Coward lines. We do, we do, we do. How much of this did they make up? So the second half film is, is just made yeah, up. So the second half film is made up. And, and has some, in yeah. hindsight, quite big plot holes in it. Maybe we should move on to sort of the implausible moment. Um, yes. Well, okay, well, what, what do you think? So, I, mean, I think the, impl- the really implausible thing is that, you know, and I understand it works for drama, but the Germans send this agent back to sort of double-check the facts in the film. 
But as we know from, well, your book, if nothing else, um, you know, all of the German agents had already been turned by this point. There is no... Yes. There is no German ability to send an agent into into Britain in the way they do in the film. Yes. Although presumably that wasn't known at the time the film was made. Presumably that hadn't been released yet. Well, no, I mean, certainly known by Ewan Montague. Oh, yes, yes. He, he's sitting on the 20 committee that's running yeah. all of these, these yeah. double agents. But no, so there is, a, there, is a, so there is this really interesting thing with 1950s war memoirs, yeah. and especially 1950s intelligence memoirs, where they just make stuff up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the, the Irish spy stuff isn't in the... Isn't yeah. in the the Ewan Montague book, but they just feel free to make stuff. And part of that is, I think, that they've got this problem that you can't talk about the fact that you're breaking the codes. You can't talk about the fact that you've turned all their air agents. Yeah. And so at various points, you sort of have to explain how did we do this thing? When you and, can't reveal the two big sources. Of, yeah. yeah. And so you start to get... And the trouble is that some of these sort of then leak into reality. So there's a character called the Gauleiter of Mannheim, who if you're yeah. doing sort of desert war intelligence yeah. stories, he keeps popping up. You spend ages trying to track him down, and it turns out that, that he was entirely made up either you know, by somebody who's trying to big themselves up or, more charitably, by somebody who is trying to cover up the uh, existence of a real yeah. double agent. Yeah. Because all of the stuff that's attributed to him was done, in fact, by a, yeah, a man same. whose identity we now know. Do you think that Lucy, the, the American, Gloria Graham, go back to her for a second, huge yeah. star, but yeah. did you find her plausible? or too much a bit too much to be honest but it but useful for that second half useful in terms of the storytelling in the second half of the film i think yes a bit much so there is a fantastic scene where the the irish spy comes to see her because he believes her to be the, the, the widow of yeah, major really, martin yeah. the corpse but in fact and as it happens by an astonishing stroke of luck her pilot boyfriend um yeah. has just, failed just to come so she comes mission. yeah so she is stricken with grief yes which is convincing to our and, and, and irish slash german spy fantastic case of people speaking yeah. at cross purposes in a spy i mean i don't yeah. think there's a great danger that this lapses into comedy and they they more or less keep it on the right the right side of it yeah. but uh, i didn't i sort of i slightly felt that the film might have been better without her married her stepson gloria graham really yeah quite a complicated i'll just readers readers who want to hear defamatory things about gloria graham now dead uh, are invited yeah. to visit her Wikipedia page or IMDb where you can find out very, very mm, yes oh that's not what I'm doing this evening <laughs> um, looking of gossip on a star I'd never heard of until a few moments ago because that's kind of thrilling evening yeah. I look forward to <laughs> the movie body count is two two one corpse and one one dead pilot <laughs> who we never see that's and there isn't really a best death because the pilot dies off screen yeah. and William Martin's already dead when we get yeah, to it. Well, it's a spy film. It's not all film, it's a yeah. spy film. And introducing. So there is someone in this film who is in a tiny part who goes on to be a legend. Are you going they, to tell me the corpse went no. on to be one of the doctors or something? <laughs> I mean, that's the usual sort of... It's almost as Tom good as that. It, it's, um, <laughs> no. So it's not Michael Horden, mm-hmm. who is obviously a character actor at this point and is playing the somebody or other a special bunch but I just love seeing Michael Horden in all of these films yeah. because to me he's the voice of Paddington yes yeah no for, for, for our generation he is yep. you just sort of expect him at any point to explain that, that Paddington pulled a marmalade sandwich from <laughs> it's not Ewan Montague who actually appears in this film as an RAF chap in the uh, in the war cabinet scene. He is the man who says, do you realise, Montague, that if you get this wrong, you'll blow the whole thing? That Amazing. is Montague. Amazing. Um, and you can see that... He re- insisted on being in this, didn't you he? You and Montague like, yeah. in real life does, does not look as good as Clifton Webb looked. Yeah, yeah. Is, it is 
and I would never have got this. I, I just came across it. I was looking it up. It is the, la- the Irish Spies landlady, who is played by Joan Hickson, who is our generation's Miss Marple. Oh, okay, okay. So, um, 1980s Miss Marple. I wasn't far off when I went for a no, random exactly. Doctor Who. No, you know, I've worked out after like a dozen episodes that yeah. your definition of future star future. is <laughs> British television in the 1970s or 80s. She's thirty years only thirty. I mean, Miss Marple, Marple is definitely one up on Adrian Mole's dad in the early eighties <laughs> series, which we've had in a previous. Joan Hickson. Joan Hickson's a proper. Yeah, um, yeah. Don't don't take Joan Hickson away from me. I no no Miss Marple has matched her <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Best meme? Any? Nothing that immediately comes to mind is memeable to me. I quite liked up. I mean, I like any film in which someone says up periscope. Yeah, fair, fair, fair. You know. you, you, but there are better up periscope. There are better up. There are better up periscopes. Yeah. I quite liked Clifton Webb saying, "For heaven's sake, don't stop loving, girl." Yeah, okay, okay. Um, okay. We could potentially Memeable. use that. Memeable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, you've uses for that. Stiffest upper lip. Who's yours? I, mine is Patrick O'Reilly, the spy, oh. because he's sitting there. He's sitting there. I mean, this is we've got a plausibility problem, yeah. which is that he has decided. Essentially, that if he, if he is shot in the hour after he visits, yeah, then, then, yeah, visit, then. visits this girl's flat, that will prove because he's deliberately that, given his yes. address. To, yeah, yeah. So I don't know why it's an hour. No, you know, no, I yeah. mean, it, but I I I think that him sitting there waiting for the police to charge in and, and yeah. arrest or kill him. Yeah, fair. That fair. you know is a that's a sort of or I mean, it's, it's yet another implausible plan, isn't it? I've got, yeah. I've, got, I've, got, I've got a way to test this information. If I'm wrong, then I will be captured. What? what come up with a different plan. <laughs> I think, so here's a little sort of, I mean, a, a nice detail is that I think he has a broadcast-only radio. You never see him wearing headphones. And they did, the Germans did seem to send, oh. they, they did send some of their agents with yeah. with only tran, with transmit only, which obviously is a problem because you can't yeah, you receive any, any but, yeah, but, yeah. But, um, There aren't really any nasty Nazis no, no, that's sort of, you know, it's, you know it's, yeah. There's a, there's a vibe, and we had this in um, The Eagle Has Landed, that Admiral Canaris, who's the sort of head of German intelligence, is a, is a, is a smart guy. There's an idea, have you come across this idea that Canaris was, was sort of, was trying to help us? Yes, this, I mean, it's a, I, it doesn't... It doesn't it, quite add up, It doesn't, doesn't it? I, 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 ultimately, I think he was just not a very good spy. But there is definitely an idea, and there's definitely an idea floating about in the 50s, that Canaris, the, the reason why... British intelligence have been so successful was because German intelligence was on our side. There's a, there's a great there's a great middle of the war quote from Kenneth Strong who'd been who'd been in Berlin in the Berlin embassy sort of throughout the the 30s and is is in charge of intelligence assessments of the Germans during the war. He's, he's sitting there saying, "I just can't believe they're this bad." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I thought they were really they were really good when we were over there. And, and and they're just really bad. All of their spies are terrible. And I think that's that's where this comes from. Usually, of course, you would ask me, is this the operation that changed the course of World War Two? I would. But you appear to be sort of, you know, really, really, really... Ca- I, I, I see you've got strong views. I can see <laughs> extensive notes. And, you know, sitting here in front of me is um, a copy of... Operation Mincemeat by Ben McIntyre about this operation. And it does say on the front cover of the book, the true spy story that changed the course of World War II. So I'll ask you, Rob, it's, it says it on the cover. Did this operation change the course of World War II? No, Duncan. No, this operation did not change the course of World War II. No, it didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> I 
do have quite strong views. Go, 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 go. So what, what's so, your, what's so, your, what's your so, issue with it? Go. I mean, I will. So just again, step back, will... step back. People aren't aware what this operation did was it, it's you know, it's all about getting fake documents to the Germans, diverting their attention from Sicily as a target in 1943, and making them look more at um, Sardinia and Greece, Greece yes. in particular. Yeah. And this is, by the way, this is absolutely the Ewan Montague argument. And when you yeah. read his internal report, more or less the first sentence is: in in 1943, the Germans knew that we were going to invade Sicily until I arrived. Yeah. And 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 then they didn't. So the first thing is that that mincemeat is part of a much larger intelligence operation yeah. called Operation Barclay. And at the point at which the corpse floats, British deceivers in the Mediterranean have for months been putting over the story that it might be might be Sardinia, mainly that it might be Greece, yeah. because they know that Hitler is worried about Greece. Yeah. Crucially, the way that they, they know that Hitler can see, they know that the Germans can see the big army they've got at one end of North Africa, but they have spent a year building up a fake army at the other end of North Africa. The sort of the, the question that, that is not really addressed in this, or it has to be said in the Operation Mincemeat film, it is addressed in Ben's book, yeah. is how is it plausible to say that we are going to invade both Greece and an island at the other end of the Mediterranean yes, yes. because we don't have the troops to do that. And the reason it's plausible is because British deceivers and, yeah. have, have for a year been, been building up this fake army in the German mind. So yeah. the Germans absolutely believe that we've got the intelligence capability to do it. So first of all, mincemeat is one part of this. Second of all, even on Montague's own reckoning, you can just about argue that one division moves yeah. as a result of this. The, the, the film ends with this moment where sort of... The, the spy sends a message, Martin is real. And then there's this great sort of map yeah. of Europe and the, the arrows showing German yeah. troops heading away. I don't think that any German troops leave Sicily after this. There are really good reasons why you don't want to put German troops on Sicily yeah. at this point, because it's an island that's quite close to the Allies yeah. in a country that Hitler thinks, with some justice, is quite flaky. And potentially, you know, you, you put those guys there, they might they may get trapped. You're relying on the Italian Navy, you know, to, to, to either stop the Allies getting to Sicily or to sort of prevent the Allies from cutting, cutting Sicily off if they have to retreat. Yeah. So there are, there are other reasons. I mean, what this operation absolutely does do is put into Hitler's mind the idea that it, it might be Sicily. Yeah. But the extent to which he actually changes anything yeah. as a result of this, there are still hundreds of thousands of Axis troops waiting in Sicily for an invasion. The Italians always believe it's going to be Sicily. The Italians in Sicily, particularly, the troops, as ever, the troops on the ground who know that they can more or less see the other guys, yeah, yeah. they know that... <laughs> Yeah. They know they're the closest to the other guys. So, you know, they, they, yeah. they, can, they can read a map. So they never believe it. There is, in fact, a deception, a successful deception operation about the timing of the attack. They, yeah. So deceivers, again, in, in the Mediterranean successfully put over the idea that they won't come... Is it that they won't come in the light of the moon or they won't come in the dark of the moon? They, they, yeah. they, so Axis troops are just coming off alert at the point at which they land... There is deception about where on the island they're going to land. Yeah. There are Douglas Fairbanks, in fact, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. speeds boats towards um, the different part of the island yeah. with loudspeakers playing the sound of an approaching uh, approaching navy, and is so successful that the Italians believe that they have seen off the invasion. They think they fought one, and yeah. they, they think they've beaten it. So there is sort of deception around Sicily, but actually, the extent to which 
Major Martin, this corpse makes a difference. It's successful in that it works. It's successful in that it, it persuades Hitler, but actually... But it doesn't actually lead to a big redeployment of troops. And you know, yeah. even if it had, you know, you right, don't, so, cha- so you don't change the, the course Phillips of World War II. But... Then we get to the Phillips O'Brien argument. Yeah. And there is an article uh, in my magazine, The Critic, which I will yeah. also put a link to, which basically says... You wanted the Germans to put as many troops as possible on Sicily because they were because, trapped, and yeah. because they'd be trapped, and you can you've got you've got air superiority there. Yeah. War is ultimately about killing the yeah. other side. This is a great place to kill them. So you know, on, on and in fact, Phillips goes further. His argument is that that because the Allies are unexpectedly successful in Sicily, they then by accident almost sort of think, oh well, we might as well invade Italy, which turns yeah. out to be a massive disaster because yeah. it, Italy is quite hard. To capture yeah. and that, that's that's a complete mess and so turns you know, out it's a long peninsula with many hill lines yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, and the final why this didn't change the war point mm-hmm. is the allies have been running deception operations in 41 and 42 and the first half of 43 very successfully after mincemeat they say the germans are always suspicious oh, because this operation draws so much you essentially you force the enemy to think is this real? And the great success of British deception up until this point, and it is, it is pretty much British deception, it has been that you just sort of, you fed them pieces of information, but they never really, you never asked them to conduct an assessment on them, if you yeah. see what I mean. Yes. But this thing, because you forced them to think about it, and they've accepted it, and when it turns out not to be true... They're going to double-check no everything ex- in, yeah. There is no explanation for this, except that the this British tried yeah. to fool us, and then you know that they're trying to do it. And yeah. so actually... Although you and Montague did a terrific job of sort of, of selling this. And the, the thing about this is it's a great it's a great story. And you can it's just such a great story. The best version of it is in the Ben McIntyre book. I can't believe there's anyone listening to this who hasn't got five copies, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it it's a great story, but the actual impact of it is trickier. So no. no, it didn't change. No, of course, it didn't change. Too, no. Sorry, I'm sorry. I just had to get it off my chest. I, I just we can we can cut you. We can cut all of that in the edit. That's, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> Is this worth dying for? I don't think I'd seen this film. I was aware of it, but I don't think I'd seen it until. Um... I don't think I'd seen it either. Actually, I think I likewise I was aware of it. I don't think it gets. It's also sort of. It is obviously. It's again. We watched it on iPlayer. It's it's yeah. in the rotation. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah but... Me too. You know, I'd read Operation Mincemeat, the Ben McIntyre book. I was aware of the operation. I I, I was quite suspect. I saw. You know, I didn't read the IMDb or the Wikipedia before I watched. I like to watch. You know, here's a chance. First time since we started this podcast, chance to watch a film fresh not knowing mm. and i was wondering how on earth are they going to make this film which is fundamentally a film about you know dropping a corpse in the sea last this long and be this interesting so i wasn't expecting this sort of second half fictionalized yes. london spy story <laughs> thing much was very entertaining and you know good fun to watch so yeah i mean it's not it's not just a straight history of operation mincemeat and it's all the better for it i, I, th- I think to be honest it is all the better for it. <laughs> uh, and it, again, you know, they can't talk about how they, how do you actually know that it's been a success? You know it's been a success because you're reading the German signals, but they're definitely not going to reveal that in the 50s. So yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I enjoyed it much more than, than I thought I would, partly because of all the bits that were made up. And in a sense, this is the problem. The, the more made up bits are, the better they are. Yes. <laughs> the, sort of the awful the the awful truth though if anyone wants to buy the rights to any of any of my books you know they, yeah. they, 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 sort of my agent's number is on my website and we're <laughs> <at the top. laughs> that was 
the man who never was, who very definitely didn't change the course of World War II. That was A Pod Too Far with me, Robert Hutton, and Duncan Weldon. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe, and if you liked it, rate and review us. You can drop us a line at podtoofar at gmail.com or on Twitter at podtoofar. Thank you.